The following is simply the opinions of two South Carolina citizens. The views expressed herein are not endorsed by any employers, family members, or government employees. This podcast may contain adult language, atypical thinking, and just plain craziness. Be advised that critical thought may be a side effect of exposure to this content. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Vote Matt Podcast. I'm Matt, and we are coming to you today from the undisclosed location deep in the heart of Kershaw County with a very special guest that I'll get to here in a second. I want to thank our sponsors, the Cassett Country Store, home to the best pizza in Kershaw County, the Swamp Log Artisans Gallery. You can go there for, uh, they have about 60 woodworkers and artisans. You can check out what they have. Gus Philpot and anybody who supports us on Patreon, patreon.com slash vote map podcast. If you have a story, anything you want to get out, you want to come on the podcast, you can email me at vote map podcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Let's get going before it gets too hot in here, man. Joining us hmm. is Chris Joseph. He is the investigative reporter at WIS down in Columbia. Uh, what channel is that on TV? Channel 10. Channel 10. Yeah. Right. I don't have TV. So anything you do, I watch <laughs> on the internet. Fair enough. Um, so that's Channel 10. Is that a ABC affiliate? NBC affiliate. NBC. Yeah, we work. Uh, we are an NBC affiliate owned by uh, Gray Media. It's um, it's interesting how, and you know, I, I don't mean to cut you off here, but it's interesting how the, the industry works, especially on local news. So the a lot of the NBC and ABC affiliates, in fact, you know, the, the majority are owned by uh, companies which uh, they're not directly tied to NBC or CBS or ABC. These are these are companies that buy up uh, different uh, stations and affiliates and what have you. So okay. a company can own a host of NBCs or CBSs or whatever. So uh, we provide the NBC programming. Okay. Um, and, and we are an NBC affiliate. And so we feed into the NBC system, but we are not directly owned by NBC, if that mm. makes sense. Okay. So do they – well, let's get into your background a little bit. You're sure. from – you grew up in North Carolina? Yeah. Yeah. So – What part of North Carolina? Well, I, I grew up in Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill. Uh, okay. So home of the Tar Heels. Mm. Uh, if there are any Tar Heels fans out there, hopefully we'll get them next year. Mm. Um, but originally my family in large parts from Philly. So I was born in the suburbs of Philly in a small town called Bryn Mawr and I lived there when I was real little. Uh, but by the time I was three, I was in Chapel Hill. I stayed there until I was 18 and out of high school. And then it came down to either I go to UNC five minutes down the road or, or roll the dice a little bit and go to Mizzou. Mm -hmm. And so for me, at that point in my life, it was a very easy decision. Um, yeah. You know, go across the continent, go to a different part of the country and, you know, go to the, the Missouri School of Journalism, which is a fantastic journalism school. If anybody is contemplating going down that road, it uh, forced me, uh, really as part of my classwork, to work in a professional newsroom. So, KOMU, it's a real NBC affiliate, real news, real stakes, the whole nine. And so, it, that was a, a large part of my training. And, and what was good about Mizzou and not staying in Chapel Hill, I think, in hindsight, is I met my best friends in the whole wide world, and it opened me up to an entire world that 
And Chapel Hill maybe is not present. Chapel Hill has a lot of perks and it's a very cool town. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, you know, it's it has a certain mindset and a certain ideology. It's a little it, insulated, huh? Y- yes, that, that's a good term for it. So going to Mizzou uh, allowed me to kind of broaden my horizons. And I think I'm a better journalist and, and a better person for that. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I worked for two years in Alabama, in Huntsville, Alabama, which is a very interesting town. It's exploding. Um, Alabama is a sleeper place. People don't realize how cool Alabama really is. Yes. North Alabama is beautiful. Montgomery uh, you, is – that's one of my favorite places, Montgomery, yeah. Alabama. Yeah. Mm. So I spent two years there and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Alabama's great. I love Huntsville, but it, it was time for me to get back to the East Coast. Uh, and, you know, my family's still in the Chapel Hill area. So okay. this Columbia was a nice middle ground. And so that's that's how I ended up here. Yeah. That's kind of why we stayed because it's – it's just perfectly situated, mountains, ocean. You can mm-hmm. get up up 95, go down 95 to the Keys. You know, you can go 20 west, be in Texas. Absolutely. And um, it's just hot as hell here, man. <laughs> <laughs> Lately, yeah, it's been a mess. It's going to um, be hotter next week, apparently. I know, I know. We'll stay hydrated, right? Right. Um, so you have a double major. You, you yeah. studied journalism and political science. Yes, yes. So – uh, credit to all the teachers out there. You know, thankfully they're getting a pay bump in this in this budget, and hopefully that that trend continues. Uh, the whole journalism thing began in high school. Mm-hmm. I uh, joined the high school newspaper as a joke. <laughs> I'm okay. not going to lie. My buddy's older sister uh, was on the staff, and so the two of us were like, "Oh, we'll just join this, and it'll be a bird course. You know, you'll you'll fly right through right. it." Uh, I started doing it the next year, and I started liking it. Okay. And credit to the power of high school <laughs> teachers. My uh, teacher at the time, uh, she looked at me one day and she's like, Chris, you know, you're, you're good at this. And at 15 years old, I was like, well, that's, that's my life. That's my life trajectory. Uh, and so, I, obviously, I made the decision to go to Mizzou for the J school. And, you know, I gravitated toward social studies in high school. And so, I took a lot of political science courses. And, and in many ways, the uh, political science degree was an afterthought. I just had enough credits and the rest okay. was history. So. And uh, you interned – uh, in New York? Yes, I did. What affiliate did you go? Uh, it was uh, it was CBS News. CBS? So the C- yeah the, the CBS News. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was at the national desk and I was taking phone calls and and you know keeping tabs on local stories. And I tell you what, um, interesting phone calls because uh, <laughs> that was the summer of 2017. And you know I don't need to remind folks maybe what was going on you know the summer yeah. of 2017 nationally, but there were. Uh, a lot of theories floated my way, and I had to remind folks, like, you know, I am just an intern. Like, I cannot solve this problem for you, ma'am. Uh, but oh, it was man. it was it was a fun experience, and I met some very good people. And I dated a woman briefly. She was a uh, producer with Fox News up there, mm. and um, okay. she gave me all the inside scoop on how that corporate media actually operates. And sure, she, you know, um, but her job was to run down stories and make connections with law enforcement and mm. and she told me about how that process works that um you know yeah the nice stories are are cool and all but what did i say like if it if it bleeds it leads is that yes. you know do you think that's really true i uh, do i think that's true yeah uh, um i think from maybe from, at a national level on a national say. level well i i think from a, a practical standpoint yes on a certain level you know it, when you structure shows and 
as a producer, the you know the our, our producers, both locally and nationally, they, they're under a lot of pressure because in many ways they decide what goes into a show and how the show is structured. So what's most important, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so when we structure a show, a lot of times we think about what impacts the most people and could is the most important. So. A, you know, a, a tragic story or, or, or a shooting or, you know, some sort of disaster, you know, it, it's not happy, certainly, but when you weigh its potential impact on people versus, you know, a nice story about puppies or something, <laughs> you know, our job is to inform the public to the best of our ability and, and to let them know, like, this is a problem, for example, and, and you know, you should be conscious of it. Mm. And so, in order to do that, we have to put that up front. And if we put it below, you know, a fluff piece, it would come off as weird and perhaps we would not be doing the job that, you know, we feel we need to do in order to serve the public. Okay. So. Um, now, of course, with any media company, like when you're doing going through journalism mm-hmm. school, you probably have a certain ideal in your head that like – you know, we're going to be doing stories that are going to change the world and, you know, mm. going to Rwanda or mm. Ukraine and doing, you know, sure, sure. and then you go intern with CBS in New York and you're mm. on that desk. Was it like, oh, this is nothing like I thought it was going to be really? Uh, well, I, you know, I'm not sure I knew what to expect going into New York. Okay. I, the, I'll be honest, in high school, the idea of the big investigative piece kind of intimidated me. Um I think once I got to New York, I I got a better understanding of how the process worked and how quick they have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and but in all honesty, it, it, I don't know. It was about a, it was about as much as I would expect. It was a very professional, professionally run organization. I guess a better way to ask would be: sure. Did you did you want to go to to television journalism? print journalism or independent did you like did you have different ideas yeah. in mind what you want yeah. to do or did you, did you want your goal is to be an anchor on <laughs> um well no i i did not really have an idea one way or the other going into mizzou um but once i got there i got involved in the student tv station okay. and i realized i like the sound of my own voice <laughs> uh which you know uh, i i kid but i, I think it it became easier for me to transition into the 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 TV realm, and I enjoyed it, and it was something I felt like I was yeah. getting better at doing, and so it, it was a natural transition for me at that point. So. I grew up with a guy who all he wanted to be was a TV weatherman. Mm. Since he was a small kid, I, I can remember first grade. Sure, I'm gonna be a TV weatherman, mm-hmm. and he grew up and went and became a TV weatherman down in Louisiana. Yeah. yeah, and he was there for Hurricane Katrina, and he did you know. He's on TV. He did everything. And then he lasted like maybe six years. Yeah. And he was like, this is really not what I want to do. And he shut that down. He had a side business going like a, a screen printing shop mm-hmm. with his wife. And um, so he left TV, um, bought a uh, an RV and just started storm chasing no all across the country. Wow. And he's so happy. He loves it. And uh, but yeah, he, the TV aspect for him. I think he. It was like, oh, this is not really. Unfortunately, I as think as cool as I thought it was. Gonna yeah. Be. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think his experience is not unique. Um, interestingly, a professor of mine at Mizzou told my class, ninety percent of you are not going to be in the industry after ten years." <laughs> um, and unfortunately, I mean, we're I'm only what four years out. Um, keeping pace. Yeah. Um, the the industry is interesting in that the way it works for folks at home 
you sign two to three year contracts. And the idea is you, you do your time at you know that station or that market and you, you build up your resume and then you go to the next biggest market for a contract that is you know mm-hmm. bigger, more lucrative, what have you. Um, and the demands on journalists and producers, particularly in the TV industry, it's deadline driven. Yeah. You know, uh, the way my morning works or a lot of my colleagues' mornings work, at least, is at 9.30 in the morning, we have a, a pitch meeting. So reporters come with ideas, the producers and our um, news director and uh, various other, you know, producers, executive producers in the building come to the conclusion on right, what stories are the most important and what do we need to cover and so you, you start, get handed down stories from national uh, cbs where they're like hey we're talking about this so you guys need to no, mention no. this Every, all decisions are made locally hmm. um now that's you don't have your own individual cia agent who's feeding you new stories <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> no we do not okay. um, all all decisions about stories <laughs> are made locally now that's not to say if there is a national story that has a local angle and that merits our attention for mm-hmm. instance inflation right that's an obvious story to follow up on locally okay um but the, you know starting at 10 it's like a, a sprint begins and you have to have all your interviews and facts and everything buttoned up by three o'clock okay. for, uh, to prep for a newscast at four or five or six and you have to edit it and wow. um, we have photographers who help film the stories that you see a lot of times but in terms of the facts and the writing and the editing of the video and making sure that you're on your p's and q's that all falls on reporters so yes there is there is an aspect to of burnout in the industry and i think honestly they're reckoning with that similar to what a lot of industries are dealing with in terms of the great recession and folks leaving and and, and pay and all that i i'm hoping i'm hoping hoping that the TV news industry is, is you know, as a whole recognizing that maybe we need to change the structure or the environment or the pace on our people because unfortunately – and again, I, I'm just speaking in generalities here. When you have folks who are leaving, that, that institutional knowledge goes with them. Oh, yeah. So every two or three years, if you get a new crop of reporters, everyone starts new. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> – we're that, seeing that a big time with uh, firefighters. Yeah. You know, that they come and gain some experience, but then they're like, well, you know, I'm getting paid $30,000 to risk my life or I could go work for, you know, this fire suppression company, you know, or go teach, mm. you know, and, and make a lot more money. But um, it, it's you have to have the true passion for it. But then again, that doesn't stop burnout. No, exactly. And and the consequences of that, as I'm sure you can attest to in your firefighting, is that you have folks who are new and they want to learn and they want to do you know the right thing, but they just don't have the knowledge or the background information to, to move through the system as quickly and as efficiently as they might. And so, I think the consequences of that are, you know, news, uh, newscasts that, you know, well, yes, high attrition and there information that perhaps could have been more easily delivered or streamlined or provided by a more you know experienced familiar reporter yeah. sometimes gets slowed down by an inexperienced newer reporter okay if that makes sense sure um so you, you the system you talk about um you know without calling out your you know your employer now mm-hmm. and saying you know obviously you have you can move to other companies. if you weren't happy where you're at you could go can you break your contract? Yes. Um, if yeah, well, it, it costs money. So the 
you sign a contract and at least in my situation, um, you know, I believe Gray and, you know, I don't know these details verbatim here, but it, 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 the traditionally the way at least my company operates, you can stay at a station for a year and then you could transfer to a different station oh, within okay. the company after one year. Okay. If you want to jump ship or go to a different company, the, a certain percentage of your annual pay has to be signed over and, and you know. The consequences of that, at least used to be, is like, well, if you break one contract, other companies are going to look at you as like, maybe I can't. Yeah. So when you sign a contract, you need to be relatively comfortable and understand that you're going to be here for two to three years. Okay. So. Um, with the inner workings of, of broadcast journalism and you're a new reporter, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a ton of pressure to bring a big story, right? To find sure. something or at least be consistent. When you're at that 9:30 meeting, you're you're contributing something every day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at least the way I operate that, and you know, every day is different. And thankfully, I'm at an environment where I, you know, every day it's not make or break. It's not the end of the world. Like we will figure something out yeah. if if stories don't just fall into our lap. But the the way I operate is I get up. Uh, relatively early in the morning and, you know, I have a, a roster of folks spread around the Midlands area and I just mm-hmm. call and touch base with them. Yeah. You know, I, in many ways, I think about it like a clock, like, okay, I'll call the folks at Fairfield one morning, you know, Kershaw the next, Sumter, and I just kind of mm-hmm. literally move my way around. And that system traditionally, you know, will generate an idea or two about something that is going on in the community. And, Otherwise, you just have to stay up to speed with everything that's going on. So I read our website in the morning every morning. I read uh, our competitor's website in the morning every morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state newspaper every morning. Um, the New York Times, national outlets. I, you know, I just try to consume as much as I can to get an understanding of what's happening locally and nationally. And then from that, you can generally formulate some ideas. So, you know, for instance... The, the Fed just raised the interest rates, right? Well, right. that generated an idea. Well, maybe we should talk to folks about how, you know, loans are more expensive, right? And that doesn't, it's not just a national thing. And, and that impacts Joe right down the street, oh, yeah. right? So, um, it, it gets easier the longer you do it. And, you know, I've, I've told, you know, I'm relatively new to the game, but as I've seen new reporters come in, you know, in my, my two stations, I guess I try to convey that, you know, the story ideas will come. You just have to make connections and, and just absorb as much information yeah. as you can. I would guess consistency works as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just be consistently, like you said, consuming information, calling your folks, you know, all that sort of stuff. Exactly. Okay. Um, so how, when you came here to Columbia, what did you know about Columbia, South Carolina before you came here? Oh, man. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Not a whole lot. <laughs> I'd been once uh, for a high school journalism conference. Okay. Uh, obviously, I knew uh, South Carolina was here, and right. that's part. Of, that was part of the draw. I'm not going to lie. You know, I've spent the majority of my life, obviously, in a college town, Chapel Hill, Columbia, Missouri, now Columbia, South Carolina, and so I've always felt very comfortable in that environment. I visited in March of 20, so <laughs> right before, literally right before things got really dicey. Yeah, and you know, one rule I was always told by my professors: never take a job sight unseen. Mm-hmm. So I made sure I, you know, toured WIS, walked around the town. You know, Columbia has a very cool vibe, I think. And, and between the the state capital and the university, there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of very serious journalism, which is kind of what attracted me um, to the area. 
There's it, a lot of crazy stuff that goes on around here that people have no idea. Right, right. <laughs> like the Murdoch. Murdoch. Is that how you say his name? Uh, Murdoch. I Murdoch. Believe. Yeah. That this middle of the country, you know, out in the in the boonies. Right. And right. he's a super rich guy. And they'll probably end up making a Netflix series. <laughs> oh, I have no doubt. It's and crazy. I I give the folks down there, you know, a whole lot of credit for, for digging into it. Um, and, you know, the, the journalists down there. And that, that kind of gets to the, the point of the other conversation. You know, when we're, when we're burning folks out, we just have less manpower. Yeah. And the Murdoch's stories, I mean, that's a unique case, obviously. Because, well, it I almost mean, went away. Like, he almost got away. Like, everybody was like, oh, yeah. This, yeah, it was a weird accident that happened. And it looked strange, but there's really nothing here. And then all of a sudden, something sure. broke. And it's like, holy shit. Yeah, it's quite <laughs> something. And so, you know... When you don't have as many journalists in a community as, you know, at least I might like, that, there's always this anxiety in the back of my head. Like, okay, what am I missing? Like, what are we not covering? Right. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I'm not, I forget where I was going with that. but Well, you were talking about moving to Columbia. Yes. Uh, and coming here for a visit. Yes, yes. So, um, so anywho, that, you know, that, that was part of the attraction. And so, yes, when I came in <laughs> March of 20, I kid you not, it was – the week before uh, President Trump gave that primetime address, you know, I think I believe it was on March 13th because I was seared into my memory because I remember watching it on my phone thinking, holy cow, this could get very real. And I uh, came down, I toured, I enjoyed my time. And then I realized, you know, subsequently after that address, like, man, I need to like get myself <laughs> situated here because I right. might not get the chance. Right. So I drove the six hours from Huntsville to Columbia on a Friday night and I toured, you know, what few apartment complexes were still given tours and, you know, I, I signed practically <laughs> right on the spot just yeah. to, just to get myself a location before. Cause you know, I, I was relatively plugged into the news and I, I like to think that I still am, but I wasn't sure if, you know, th th there was going to be like a border shutdown. Like I, you know, I, <laughs> it, it, it was early days. Wow. And so I just wanted to get my bases covered so that, that's my, my origin story, as it were. And then I started in May of 20. And, you know, we all remember what happened in Columbia <laughs> yeah. that month. And that was quite something. And, right. you know, I've, I've been here. I've been here ever since. So Okay. Um, do you think that there's room in Columbia for a journalist to thrive and grow? Oh, my and, gosh. Yeah? Yes. So, yes, please. Hey, you know. Is because is it because of the state capitol and all the goings on? We need – so many more journalists, yeah, without question. I, and I'll get on my soapbox here. If, if any folks are listening and they have kids in high school contemplating journalism, yes, it's a tough industry, but oh my gosh, it is so important. I cannot mm. stress that enough. I, you know, if you do not have journalists holding folks accountable, reporting on the news, keeping people informed, democracy suffers. And I, I will, mm. I will die on that hill. Yeah. Um, you have to have some sort of outlet which is shining a light on uh, folks and people in power. Because if you don't, you know, for better or for worse, you know, things happen, mm -hmm. right? And so I would encourage anybody who's considering to get into a journalism career, there is a job for you. There is a salary for you. It is a rewarding experience. Yes, it is tough, but I, I can say definitively – there have been stories that I've done that I've translated to tra tangible changes in this community, back in Alabama, 
Mm-hmm. Um, things do change. You just have to work at it. And if you don't speak up, if you don't reach out to your press, if you don't say something to your elected leader, nothing will change. And you have mm-hmm. to be your own advocate. And to do that, um, one of the ways I've found that outlet for me is being an investigative journalist and, mm-hmm. and trying to, you know, shine a light on on various issues. So that would bring me, I guess, to the rise of independent journalism. Mm. And so you were getting out of college and, you know, that people are cutting the cord, not mm-hmm. subscribing to cable, mm-hmm. TV or satellite anymore. They're just streaming their news or, you know, some people get their news from YouTube or, you know, unfortunately, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there was a rise of this independent journalism, mm-hmm. right? Um, do, do you... As a TV journalist, as, a, as, a, as an investigative reporter for them, um, is it a competition against independent journalism or do you see some sort of um, working together? Sure. This? For me personally, no. I, I don't see it as – I can't speak for anybody else, mm-hmm. but no, I, I don't see it as a competition. Um, I will say – I, you know, I put a lot of stock in traditional journalism. You know, the, the, the reporters at the Post and Courier and the state and my colleagues, you know, in, in the television news, um, they do a lot of very good work and a lot of very important work. And they, and again, I cannot speak for everyone, but, you know, generally speaking, adhere to a certain level of, you know, fact-checking professionalism. And that is not to say independent media does not do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's been a little more ingrained in the culture. Um, and as we've discussed, unfortunately, the, the manpower in that sector has declined rapidly. So mm-hmm. independent media, you know, like, like your Fitz News, for example, or yourself, mm-hmm. um, I think are filling in the gaps that are you know, being left. And it's important to continue to shine a light on some issues that perhaps – traditional you know news outlets cannot get to and, and so, to be honest there is an integrity problem as well um say with cnn or msnbc mm-hmm. or fox where people feel people would say oh they're fox is a right new right wing cnn is left wing but then i tell people like no they're just providing programming for their customers mm-hmm. and they're selling advertising and mm-hmm. that's how they make their money mm-hmm. you know on a national level and it's not you know, people who think that Sean Hannity is this big right wing nut job Republican, he's really not. Mm. Honestly, he's not. He's he's just a t- television character. <laughs> you know. Sure. Um, do you guys look at you know as an investigative journalist? You're doing. Mm-hmm. You're out on the streets talking to people. You're you're chasing down leads and doing all your fact checking and all that. And then you see somebody with a fake tan on TV on Fox news <laughs> and frankly, just talking a bunch of bullshit, just whipping people up, telling people what they want to hear in this echo chamber. Sure. You're kind of like, man, that's, that's not really fair, man. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, <laughs> and they're getting held up as the, the voice of integrity in the news media. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, without naming names, I do see things on cable networks. Well, let's example. say Matt Lauer. Let's talk about him because he's gone. Sure. He's dead and buried in the, in the industry. Um, you know, he was one of the most trusted voices on television, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then come to find out he has a secret button under his desk that he can lock the doors when females walk in and he can mm-hmm. keep them trapped in his office to sexually mm-hmm. harass him. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what? This is so crazy. Yeah. I, look, I can't. 
I, you know, I can't sit here and speak for all journalists or, or anything really in that, mm. in that vein. Well, sure. But there, there's people like that in every profession. There's, you're going to find them everywhere. Scumbags. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I, I will say, you know, that it's unfortunate that folks on a national level have perhaps created a perception for folks on a local level yeah. that, you know, those characters, you know, we, you pay the price for well, it. Yes. And that, yes, exactly. And, you know, my concern is that, you know, when people hear things on national television or connect national television with local television, that, they, you know, they're one and the same. And I promise you they are not. Um, well, like when local, I would post yeah. your story that you did about Kershaw County, you know, the goings on here, mm-hmm. people are like, why the hell would I listen to this liberal media, you know, fake news and all this kind of mm-hmm. shit? And I was like, he actually showed a, a a recording of this person doing X Y Z. Like it's not. Oh, they probably edited it, you know. Or I didn't see their mouth breathe, so they probably. I was like, you don't understand what that would do to somebody if they put this out on the news. So can you explain that process, maybe? So, sure. um, if you were to falsify some information and put it out onto your news channel, what would that do? Sure. So there is a Supreme Court case, and I do not recall the exact name of it, but it it establishes essentially a threshold for defamation, specifically for journalists. And a few different factors, and I'm paraphrasing here, but in order for a journalist to, I guess, essentially be sued for Mm -hmm. um, defaming or, or libeling someone, I have to know it's false, post it anyway. Yep. And then have actual malice, which means mm-hmm. I was out to get someone. Right. And even then, I think there has to be damages as well, right? You have to be able to prove damages. I, I it would not surprise me. I, I do not know that for certain. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the bar is very high in order to do that. Uh, but also, you know, the folks, at least the, the, the folks I work with and in local, they don't get into it to, you know, like take people out that's not they want to they want to help their community and so you would not only open yourself and your outlet up for a lawsuit Mm -hmm. a you would you destroy your own credibility b um and and, you know it just doesn't do any good for anybody so you know that that i guess that's more or less all i've got to touch on about that Committing career suicide because nobody other news agency would want to hire you. Well, exactly if you did that. Yes, because exactly. you're too much of a liability. Um, and frankly, the people wouldn't talk to you anymore. They'd be like, "Yeah, you're that guy that made up all that bullshit on saw on TV and got sure. caught lying." Sure, you know? so sure. I'm not going to talk to you. Sure. Um, you know, I get it all the time from people. You know, oh, you're just talking shit. You're just making stuff up. You're. And I'm like, look, I don't have the same protections as somebody who works for NBC or CBS or whatever, mm. you know, he could send, I could get sued easily and he, it would crush me financially. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a big company backing me up or anything like that. So mm. I am not going to lie just based on that. But overall I am telling the truth because I have honor and integrity and as a man, sure, you know, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I haven't been proven wrong yet. That's why I tell people like, <laughs> You know, show me where I've been wrong and I'll, yeah. I'll admit it, but you can't. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I want to talk more about the, um, this independent versus, um, 
I guess, corporate sure. media. Sure. And uh, we're going to try to cool off a little bit. Folks, listen to the commercial, please, and go patronize our sponsors. Thank you. The Swamp Fox Podcast Network is proud to announce our new sponsor, the Swamp Log Artisans Gallery. An old Bishopville building is a home to a store unlike any you have ever experienced. Gift shop, furniture store, local history museum, and art gallery. It's all of these things. There's an inventory here found nowhere else. Presented with an opportunity to make a personal connection to heirloom quality pieces that will honor our heritage and enrich your family's lives for generations to come. Here you will carefully select your pieces created by 60 fine woodworkers, artisans, and artists. The backbone of our store is products handmade from lumber, which is sawn from old-growth sinker logs recovered from the muddy, dark bottoms of South Carolina's rivers and swamps. These logs were lost over 125 years ago as they were transported on the waterways and were recovered with scuba equipment. Check them out at www.swamplogartisans.com or visit them at 229 North Main Street in downtown Bishopville, South Carolina. Yeah, man. I'm super excited about the uh, kiln-dried lumber. Mm -hmm. You just buy the rough cut slabs. Yeah. And also the paintings. Mm -hmm. Um, No, they've got some really cool stuff. I want to see that. I mean, it's just beautiful framework. And from looking at this brochure, some pretty nice art. Uh, I might go out there today. Are they open today? Yeah. Awesome. So I would love it for Swamp uh, the Swamp Fox Network people to uh, support this company and just let them know where you heard about it. Welcome back, folks. Thanks for listening to our awkward commercial for the Swamp Blog Artisans Gallery. Uh, have you been out to Bishopville much, Chris? Once or twice, uh, only for unfortunately COVID related stories. But I do oh. need to I need to get out there for leisure at yeah. some point. Go check out the Swamp Log Artisans Gallery. It's really cool. Um, that wood spirit hanging on the wall right there. I got that there. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. That's Very nice. nice. That's a local artist that does that. Fantastic. Um, I'm not going to say his name until he comes on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, and that's your invite. There this you dog go. eat dog out here, man. Sure, yeah. sure. Um, so before we left, we were talking about the difference between independent journalism and traditional journalism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's more, you know, for me, I can editorialize a, a whole lot more than you can. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I can give my opinions on things more freely mm-hmm. than you can because um, it's just a guy talking, honestly. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm just talking. And it's partially for entertainment, uh, mostly to just get information out. And like you said, I think that independent journalism is filling the gaps where traditional news outlets are are failing or just can't deal with you know um Mm -hmm. on a daily basis um so that's you know fitz news has done a really good job um and they've gotten very popular and they're doing some good things um and they're not shy about their bias everybody has bias you you can't Mm -hmm. help it Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um and that's just a natural way human beings are to, to be biased. Um, but we have more freedom to do that. And that, mm-hmm. that's what's appealing to me. Like, I don't have to be, I don't have a boss. Sure. I don't have to run things through legal before I say anything. <laughs> yeah, I do I run that. things by my wife sometimes. <clears throat> yes, the boss. Yeah. And I, say, I would say, hey, uh, you might want to stay on Facebook for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Fair enough. Um, but with you... Let's talk about the process. Um, do you want to talk about the Lee Bone story and, and the process of how that sure, sure. formed? Yeah. So I, I – stories, investigative stories almost always 
come out of the proverbial woodwork here. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I was first like notified about Jonathan Goldsmith and you know all the the, the situations that I followed way back in the day. I'd probably only been here a few months. I mean, if you do that math, I, I arrived in May of twenty and. Um, you know, he was fired in November of that year. So we were maybe two or three days before he was ultimately fired, notified that something was about to go down. Okay. Um, and you know, it was a, it was a source very familiar with the community. And, you know, again, if, if you guys know things, you know, give a holler at, and, uh, as I'm, as I'm sure you're, you're want to, to broadcast. So that was on our radar and then sure enough um you know that came to fruition and so if memory serves i did an initial story specifically about um you know goldsmith's firing and i did an interview with the sheriff and all that uh but as you kind of begin to learn more and peel back the layers and talk with folks it it became clear that there was more to this story so what followed was a, a series of records requests um and we ultimately did a story I believe it was November of 21 in relation to the situation with the Camden Police Department yes. where the mm-hmm. then Captain Lee Bone uh, was familiar that Goldsmith was perhaps using force significantly more frequently than his counterparts at the Camden Police Department. And at a minimum, they recommended de-escalation training. And that's uh, you know kind of where we left it. We've obviously followed several civil lawsuits, um, which were subsequently filed. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which I believe is, is planning to be dismissed because the gentleman in question has, uh, died. Yes. I believe that is Mr. That Connolly. Was, yeah. That was the, uh, wrote the checkpoint, the DUI. Yes. Checkpoint yes. Incident. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that lawsuit in just recently, uh, it appears has, has, is going to go by the wayside. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a second lawsuit that, you know, we'll have to be resolved one way or the other. And then there are three pending sled investigations. So we have, you know, dug into that. One um, was in relation to the Sims case, which, you know, if you've, if you've been following the Goldsmith saga, you're more than familiar with at this point. It was that mm-hmm. October 2020 incident that ultimately led to his firing. The other was for Connolly, the, yes. the lawsuit that is. Um, <clears throat> but there's still going to be a sled investigation into that. Yes, yeah. yes. And the, the, the third lawsuit was, and this is where. I wish I knew more, truthfully. I've asked SLED for, for more information related to this, but there is a third lawsuit that I believe originated last August. Don't quote me on that. but um, So th- those three are still outstanding, and of course the criminal charges against Goldsmith are pending as well. So a lot of it has just been kind of following up, but the origin behind those three stories that you uh, most recently saw in May it was because that $1.5 million lawsuit uh, had been settled. Right. And so those records subsequently became public records. So the documents that you will see if you go to the web stories are pulled directly from uh, the public index. Mm-hmm. So court records, you know, directly from the source. The videos uh, were provided by Brett Perry. Uh, he's the attorney who who submitted all the evidence and has obviously, uh, you know, filed several lawsuits. Three, um, you know, with with two ongoing, um, and you know that helped color the situation and, and provide more insight. And, and um, I mean, I think the videos on a certain level speak for themselves. Yeah. Um, so th- that's in large part how the story came together and. You know, with with a story like that, we have to be so, 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 so careful. I mean, obviously, those are some very serious topics. And, 
the documents, um, you know, lay out, I would say, a series of, of allegations about what the sheriff and, you know, Deputy Chief Coleman uh, or Chief Deputy Coleman, I should say, what they knew. And so I spent countless hours checking every last word uh, of that piece just to make sure it was all buttoned up and I could directly tie what I was writing to a document or to mm -hmm. an interview or what have you. And at that point, once, you know, we kind of had our ducks in a row or at least knew, you know, at least what the evidence presented, you know, we gave every opportunity um, to, to, the, to the sheriff and, and to Coleman as well to, you know, speak on this. We've, you know, emailed them, called them. Uh, I believe I may have texted him actually, uh, you know, and with no response and that, that is what it is. Um, but it, it was, it was very important that we give them adequate heads up, which I believe we did. Um, you know, we informed the attorney, the county attorney and the sheriff and we, you know, kept them apprised of how the story was going to go and when it was going to air. And, you know, uh, we wanted to make sure that there were no proverbial surprises. Um, you know, I, I sent them several emails kind of spelling out, okay, is, you know, they, I'm sure they were familiar with the evidence in this lawsuit, um, but but just to just to be super clear, I broke down. All right, these are what the stories are going to be. These are some of the details that they're going to entail, and you know I would uh, want to offer you a, an opportunity to speak to this if you would like. And you know um, uh, he declined and or did not respond, and that's fine. And you know we just, well, just he spoke the, story. the first time you you talked to him, he, he sat down in his office and way back in the day, and yeah. he says, "This is my failure." That's the big famous line right you know yeah. this is my failure and um where he admitted that it was his responsibility not his well he said it's his failure so mm -hmm. you know he's basically admitting that's my fault man sure. like, you know this guy worked for me i hired him you know he admitted it on the the dexter handy recording mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so that that would be a big difference between you and i though is like I received all the court documents as well in the videos mm -hmm. and I just sat down here and started reading from them. Mm -hmm. Right. And I didn't have, I didn't, you know, I, I did have a little quick little meeting with my loved ones and like, Hey, here's what we have. I'm going to read this mm -hmm. online mm -hmm. verbatim mm -hmm. and um, it's all public record and I don't have to leave anybody's name out. I don't, it's all right here in black and white. Mm -hmm. Now there, I did a few, you know, here and there, I would leave somebody's name out if they were like a citizen. Mm -hmm. um, but how long? I mean, you, uh, you talked about how the quick news cycle, right? Like mm -hmm. When you come in at nine thirty and at ten, you know, yeah, yeah. So when you start getting information like this with the sheriff's office and Goldsmith and all that, how how quick is that timeline? Well, it, it depends. Um, and, and one more thing, I, I did want to touch on the, the bone story before I, I get to that. So the, the sheriff did, you know, post at various times on Facebook, um, uh, you know, about his his thoughts on the lawsuit settlement, and I, I, you know, he posted the day after the first story, and so you know, we were. We wanted to be very conscious of what he may be saying, not to us, but right. on, on social media as well. So we, you know, we wanted to, even if he didn't give it to us it was important that we included that in the story and I, he's putting I, it out there publicly right and I, I, I think we did that on that front um but to, to your question about the timeline for for something like that so it, it, it you know and this is not a good answer but it, it depends right so mm -hmm. the way my schedule and chris joseph 
my personal breakdown is usually twice a week I'm doing the day turn stories where you will see me at four or five and six and I will be doing the news of the day and I've got that short window to get it done. And then uh, I've been very lucky and I'm very thankful to have a Wednesday, Thursday and Friday as my days to uh, do deep dives, to work on extended stories like the, the, the three part investigation or the, the handful of other stories I've done um, in the last year or so. And so when we get documents like that, the first thing I did, actually, ironically enough, similar to you, I just read through all of it. Uh, I watched all the videos. I read all the documents. I wanted to get a, an understanding of what exactly I had in front of me so I didn't miss anything and that, you know, I can, can interpret it. Uh, and then it was a matter of contacting and arranging interviews for sources. So a lot of times, uh, well, especially with this story that, you know, the, that three-part story, I mean, the, the videos and the documents, we, we had those initially. Initially, mm-hmm. part of the delay was um, arranging interviews, finding folks. Um, you know, the gentleman who was in that greatest hits video. Yeah, uh, I thought it was an important that we you know, contact this man and arrange an interview, and so that there was a delay there. Uh, we also had to give um, heads up and adequate time to you know uh, Steve Nafolk. We wanted mm-hmm. to contact him, and uh, he obviously declined, which is fine. But we had to we had yeah. to contact him. There was no sure two ways about that and there's a handful of other individuals that you know as i continued to write the story i realized i have got to give this person an opportunity to speak and what that means is i've got to create a a, a, a few day window right a couple days hey i think your voice is important here i'm wide open on you know x y and z can we talk and I, i've got to give them the opportunity to mull it over and then move forward um so in that that was a large part of it. And as I was touching on a second ago, I wanted to make sure that once the dust settled, I gave um, the county, the county attorney and the sheriff a reasonable amount of time to know when this is going to air. And if they come to the conclusion that perhaps they wanted to submit something, that they would have adequate time to submit it. Right. Uh, my goal was not to just drop this and, and, and you know, walk away. So... Uh, it's a lot of a lot of just managing logistics, and so that that will drive the timeline. This one, because it was three stories, obviously much longer. Not to mention, um, we had our lawyers That's watch my, my and read, and oh yeah, oh yeah. So, um, the the all of my investigative stories have a legal review of of some kind. This one was way more intensive because it was three stories, but mm-hmm. we also wanted to make sure that. Uh, the lawyer reviewed all the video and, you know, um, reviewed the promos and like the whole nine because mm. this was um, the most intense story that we worked on. What did their face look like when they read this documents uh, and saw the videos so as lawyers? <laughs> I wish I wish I could have seen this, this individual, again, very lucky. Gray has, a, I guess you would call a partnership or, you know, lawyers on retainer yeah. to handle this exact thing. And so this individual um, was not local, but a lot of phone calls. And you know, she had very specific notes. And it's interesting. A lot of the legal review is semantics. Um, it, it's not so much, you know, Chris, you, you libeled this person here. It's how do you phrase this? Yeah. So okay. if, you, if you look at um, the web stories, you, you will see the term civil lawsuit. Uh, before, you know, before I spoke with this lawyer, I, I thought lawsuit was relatively self-explanatory, mm-hmm. that it was a civil, not criminal matter. Right. Well, after speaking with the lawyer, for example, we had to very, you know, spell out civil and, you know, 
and so that that was that was important and so that was a at least a two-week process on that as well so what was the temperature like in the room when you presented this story to your team like Mm -hmm. you know you're in the meeting they're like hey this is a lot bigger than we thought it was sure you know were they like you need to get on that shit now Mm. and let's make it happen or yeah yeah so the I usually have meetings with my news director and my assistant news director, and we kind of go over how, like, what stories I think are on the threshold, maybe what their thoughts are, and how we kind of want to handle it. Of course, you know, once I was in possession of all the videos and and all the documents, it was a very clear, you know, work on this immediately. Yeah. Um, You know, I think, I think we knew how serious the evidence was, and, you know, it, it warranted our immediate attention, and so you know the the mood of the room was you know we need to we need to act That's on a big this. One. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was that. Um, and and part of it I think is is because of the power that the South Carolina Constitution gives to the sheriffs mm. in the state. Um, we've had sheriffs hauled off by sled recently. Um, that it. They have a lot of power, and it takes a lot of evidence to actually even make allegations against a sitting sheriff. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. There's no, mm-hmm. there's only a few of them, and the governor is the only one who can suspend or dismiss a sheriff in right. South Carolina. Yeah. Um, and so, have you gotten any? Have you been contacted at all by any state entities? Um, or do they? Do you, do, do you guys keep that separate? Related to the uh, to Sheriff Bone, um, like the governor's office, they calling you and be like, "Hey, did I seriously just see a story?" That <laughs> no, I, no, nobody um, in, a, in an official capacity mm-hmm. in state government has contacted yeah. me and related to those stories. I guarantee you, our governor does not give a damn about what Lee Bone's doing. Sure, sure. Um, probably behind closed. I don't know. I'll spec that speculation, but um, so yeah, I, with what I do. If I were to run my podcast past an attorney, hmm. and I do have some attorney friends that encourage, like, hey, you know, keep it up, man. Mm-hmm, you're, mm-hmm. you're definitely making some noise and and helping. Um, but as if I was going to do a podcast that was affiliated with WIS, mm-hmm. let's say, mm-hmm. it would be very frustrating for me to. You know, because my show prep is just a few hours. Probably. You know, and there's obviously I have a lot of irons in the fire and people that are calling me and talking, trying to get some stuff, you know, just like you are, just on a much smaller scale. Um, And there's some things where I'll tell people, like, there's nothing I can do with that, man. Mm -hmm, I'm just, mm -hmm. I would be literally putting my head on a chopping block, you know? (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, that's a good point. You know, there are a lot of times where, um, you know, I am contacted with, or I'm presented with a story or a suggestion or a thought and, and they are great and they are useful and I'm glad people do it because it is important. I would – if anyone out there has an idea or a story, please reach out. The one thing I would ask – Come to me first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'll leave that to whomever. But um, it is infinitely easier for at least myself and my colleagues if you can present – evidence i mean quite frankly you know 
like as I was touching on, the, the the lack of manpower means a lot of times we have to focus on the news immediately in front of us. So yeah. the news of the day, and so when investigative or more serious pieces come about, that requires time. And I, again, I. I'm probably the exception in terms of the, the time I'm given, at least in, in this market in, in TV journalism. I, okay. I, I don't, I can't speak for what the newspapers do or how they operate. Um, but if you can go to a journalist and present a court document or point to a meeting or point to an email and have that email present and say, this is a problem, this is why it's a problem and I can prove it. All of a sudden, it is infinitely easier for your average journalist to go to their producer or their assignment editor and say, hey, this person has a problem. They're willing to speak about it, and they've got the proof that I think we need to pursue this. And, of course, they would you know, go about addressing the other side of it as well. But y- you have to have – I mean you have to have proof in order to kind of get the, get the wheels rolling or at least know where to look and give them a, some guidance or a roadmap, mm. I would say. What about the uh, the FOIA process? Um, yeah, I did want to touch on that, actually. Yeah, um, it's really hard to get any decent information from agency via FOIA unless you know the exact words to use. Sure. I'm so, sure there are some trigger words, right? That, yes. Inter- I'm glad you brought this up because I was thinking about that and I did want to address this. If folks have a pen and paper at home, be my guest, take notes here because I, th- I think this is very important. And it doesn't. you don't have to be a journalist to FOIA. Anybody can right. file a freedom of information. a big box full of stuff over there. In there. Yes. <laughs> so the way FOIA in South Carolina works is all you have to do is submit an email. Most... Uh, public entities, and, and again, of emphasis, this has to be a, a government entity, a publicly funded entity. Um, if it's in South Carolina or state government or county government or city government, they all have the same rules. National rules are different. I, I'm not an expert in that, but what I can tell you, at least for South Carolina, is once you submit an email or a written request, I recommend email. Uh, they have 10 business days to tell you yes, no, or you know, this is how much it's going to cost. And then once they do that, the clock starts ticking on a 30-day window, business days, or not business days, excuse me, calendar days, um, to get those records to you unless they cite some sort of exemption. Um, so I would say the good news about South Carolina's FOIA law is that there is a ticking clock. Like You can hold their feet to the fire on that front. Um, you know, the bad news is it, it, it'll take you at maximum about, you know, six weeks yeah. to get a record if you ask for it, if they don't exempt it, of course. Um, so what I do a lot of times with records requests is, you know, for instance, with the, the Goldsmith, um, the Goldsmith story, half the battle is just knowing what to ask for. So with Goldsmith and, and several other stories, it's, um, you ask for the personnel file. So these are files that, um, you know, public employees have that are held by the government and, you know, they include, you know, awards, demerits, reviews, trainings, and that that was helpful in kind of piecing together the, the Goldsmith story. Um, when it comes to law enforcement, you know, you can ask for the incident report. If you ask nicely, they might give you the incident report without a FOIA. But if you do it with a FOIA, then that mm-hmm. clock starts ticking. Um, it will be redacted, and that's to be expected. There, there are certain privacy considerations um, to be considered. But all that to say, 
if you think there is a problem in your neck of the woods and you feel like there's an answer and there's a document that would show it, mm-hmm. go for it. I mean, you that is your that is your right as a citizen, and I highly encourage it because that is one of the best ways I've found in my investigative process to piece things together. Yeah, what I've you know, if I want to get a reaction out of the sheriff's office, the only thing I have to do is file a FOIA with them, and it it raise everybody sees it. First of all, they know my name. Mm-hmm. They know my email address. Mm-hmm. Whenever I show up in there, they're like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, because I've been there a lot. Mm-hmm. But I know that, okay, they're not going to give me what I want with this FOIA. But they will know that we're looking into it. And sometimes that's enough to get some movement on something. Well, um, well, in South Carolina law, they don't have to give you body cam footage. No, they don't. That's the way that when the body cams came out, our – our wonderful representatives at the state house put that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to a trial, when it goes to a lawsuit, when, when, when stuff's filed with the court, it becomes public record. Mm-hmm. Then that's how we got body cam footage. Yeah. Um, and like you said, you using words like personnel file when you're dealing with the criminal justice Academy mm-hmm. um, and there's going to be stuff redacted, but I've found shockingly, unredacted stuff like people's bank account numbers. Um, yeah, well, I, I have Lee Bones um, personnel file and mm-hmm. it has his resume that he put and then it has his um, direct deposit information and, mm-hmm. I, and I was like, I can't believe, like if I was really wanting to be a jerk about this, well, I could do all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, that, well, so I yes. shredded it, I shredded it, yes. you know, and I'm like, that doesn't need to be out there. <laughs> right. Um, that happens and you, you have to be very careful with some of the things you put out there and you know um i you know in my experience i've come into documents where i've thought oh this piece of information is intensely private doesn't really apply to the story like a victim's home address right i (laughs) i I cannot in good conscience publish this document or i need to edit it or you know something um perfect example that there was a um review in relation to to Goldsmith about a, a, an individual who was threatening self-harm and in this review that was a public document. It was given right to me unredacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it included the name of this individual and this individual's address. Yeah. And uh, that individual, if you've seen the story, was the one who was Got tasered with his yeah. hands up. Um, so with this story particularly, I wanted every document that I drew from to be published so you know folks you can read it for yourself like you don't have to take my word for it but with that document in particular i made the editorial decision not to publish it because mm-hmm. at that point you're doing more harm than good right and potentially and the video speaks for itself right so exactly um, and there's a lot of you know what we were talking before over at the bar was like uh, my bar and we weren't hanging out drinking or anything just everybody knows <laughs> sure chris's bosses don't get mad at him no please don't um we were just talking, you know, that people will see a video like that, that Goldsmith walked up to a guy. Hey, people say you want to hurt yourself. And the guy says, well, I don't know. I might want to hurt you, too. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. he's obviously in mental distress. Mm-hmm. And he said, OK, well, put your hands up. And a guy puts his hands up and then he tases him. You knew from the second that Goldsmith got out of his car, he was not going to fool with this guy. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm taking him down or whatever. Like he was mm-hmm. he didn't want to be there. You could tell him the tone of his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but people see that and be like. I don't, I don't see the problem with this. I don't, I don't see the problem here. Like it, he could have, you know, could have been much worse for that guy. 
Sure. Uh, yeah, it, it's up to the viewer, I think, to to make the conclusion. As yeah, to that's kind of my point. Where yeah. like your job is just to present the story. Sure. And people will take it however you want to take it. Sure. And it, with that incident in particular, I mean, it was identified as a problem by, I believe, Steve Nafolk mm -hmm. and and the sheriff who the sheriff signed agreed well. to mm -hmm. agreed to document it in writing, if if my memory serves. So. You know, again, with those videos and with these incidents, you know, it's again, you know, it's not my job to tell folks how to interpret it. I, I think the videos, you know, show what exactly transpired, and you know, if if someone takes exception to that, that's that's got to be their prerogative, right? So, and and that's where I'm more free to editorialize my opinion about the story or the people reacting to the story, mm -hmm. you know, um, and you just don't have that freedom and it, it would detract from what your agency is doing. Well, yeah. Yeah. If I, um, you'd be looked at like Geraldo. Like, right. <laughs> that's not, that's not the goal. I, I mean, he's you rich know. as hell. So maybe he's doing something. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, at, at what cost right. I, I, my, my goal is to continue to shine a light on issues that, you know, the, the public find important. And I believe I can do that most effectively without, you know, my goal is not to call anyone out, right. Yeah. And, or, or vocalize my thoughts. It's, mm -hmm. it's the, Show the records and the video, I mean, as they stand and, yeah. you know, let, let folks come to their own conclusions. And, you know, you're detached from the situation. With me, it's more personal because I live here in Kershaw County. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to – I live amongst these people. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot more personal, obviously. Um, and, you know, I'm a bit fired up, you know, over this because – I have literally risked my life for the people of this county. I've, you know, pulled people out of horrible situations and treated them in the back of an ambulance. And, I, you know, so I when I see them being mistreated, it's a lot more personal and I can't hide that. It wouldn't I, w I couldn't do what you do um, because it's personal. Sure, um, sure. Have you ever had that situation with a story where it's kind of personal to you? And when what's the yeah. do you, is it like protocol to like kind of pass that off to you somebody to, else? You have to. Yeah. Um, that's 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 a rule. Um, okay. If you if you have a personal tie to a story, you cannot report on that story. Um, there was a situation, um, the Parkland shooting. I was a producer at my uh, KMU, that Mizzou station I was talking about a little bit earlier. Uh -huh. And I was producing that day and a my cousin was in the high school wow. when that happened. Uh, thank God he's fine, um, you know, physically. And, um, you know, he's he's in college now and, and doing well. Um, but I remember being very angry and very upset. And I had to go to my executive producer who's also my professor and i just told him i can't i can't produce this because it you know my feelings on the situation were very strong and, and, mm -hmm. and I, I made a conscious decision to remove myself from that situation but you know of course when you work in local news you know you're going to cover stories in your community that is part of it um but you know unless you've got a family member or a direct financial incentive or you know what have you? Um, the the rule is you you gotta you gotta separate yourself because otherwise every I mean you can't hide that. It would call into question everything you've been doing. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, much like we talked about with con contract negotiations, you know, if you're going to talk to another news station, they're going to be like, "Hey, you were that guy that cussed out the sheriff on 
Right. The news one night. Sure. Like, well, yeah, I don't right. know if we want that kind of run here. Right. Right. Um, I, I mean, shoot, it's kind of like that with me with uh, fire departments here. Mm-hmm. You know, my activism has affected my standing here in the community, hmm. um, especially with fire departments, because mm-hmm. I don't, you know, they think I'm anti-cop, you know, or they feel like um, maybe I'll expose something going on within the fire service. Mm. Um, and that's fine if they want to do that, that I made this choice, you know, um, and I sleep good at night knowing sure. that, um, I've been doing good things for change in this community. Sure. Um, have you gotten any pushback from your stories from the, like people, oh, sure. say, uh, you getting hate mail from people and uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say hate mail. I when anytime you do a story, um, that, you know, this one, again, a little more serious and, and contained some, some serious video. And it was obviously, you know, it centered around an elected leader in mm-hmm. the community uh, who has a constituency who, you know, elected him. And then, well, you know, unless something dramatic happens, elect him again this November. Um, I say all the time that Lee Bowen could be caught on video drowning a bag of kittens and uh, people will still support him in Kershaw County. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> you know. That's Any, my opinion. Anywho, not yeah, yours. I'll 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 leave that alone. But um of course, you know, in the aftermath of that story there were several there who expressed displeasure and you know who who you know I think similarly expressed, you know, you're going after law enforcement, why mm-hmm. would you do that? Um Well he claims you're in love with him. Well, yeah. Apparently, I, you and I are both in love with the same man. Ah, uh, well, again, I'll, I'll leave that alone. But, um, <laughs> you know, conversely, there were also folks who reached out to us who were expressed gratitude that, okay. you know, we were uh, perhaps shining a light on this. And so that, that'll that happen with any story. And it's, it's something you can't put it in your back pocket, be conscious of it. Yeah. Don't let it, don't let it drive you crazy. Right. Um, and and that's something I've tried to do. You know, sometimes, especially with critiques of stories, I mean, people have good points, you know, and I try to be conscious of that and it, I don't let it rule my decision making moving forward, but it's a factor that I try to keep in the back of my mind. Right. Do you have any stories that you um, want to revisit one day and maybe do follow-ups on mm, and no. um, maybe correct some things that you might have gotten wrong or set some things straight, you know, oh, man. that you um, missed on? I mean, there there are there are a ton of stories I'd be curious in following up on. Um, one of them, and I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to this, but in Colombia there was a series of um, house fires in in a neighborhood. Yeah, uh, it's Booker Washington Heights, and this neighborhood, unfortunately. Like it would go in spurts. It was. You talking about Columbia, Missouri, or no, Columbia, Colum- South Carolina? Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. Um, it would go in spurts, and there, a gentleman was arrested for one. And you know, to my knowledge, there have been no fire since. I'll I'll just put it that way. Wasn't he a firefighter? I'm not sure about that. Um, so, you know, I don't know if we'd ever be able to come to the conclusion. He as- was not, but they did suspect a firefighter. They was they did. Now that I think about it. Sure. Okay. I'm not. I'm not sure about any of that, but I would be curious. And this is not something I could probably get done in in my capacity here now. Uh, you know, with with the time constraints that I have. But, yeah. You know, 
what happened with those other fires. I mean, that, I think that's just very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, it's almost impossible to prove arson. Right. Well, it's a very tough, um, yeah, it's because the evidence literally burns. Um, and, you know, there, a lot of the investigative stories that I've done, whether it be, you know, the situation with Representative Rick Martin over in Newberry, mm-hmm. um, who, who just lost re-election, what exactly transpired there? Because if you'll recall with that story, there were allegations that he perhaps did some things above and beyond what he's being charged for. And so whether or not that actually transpired, I think is a big question in that case that's yet to be resolved. Um, so following up on that is is tentatively on my radar. Um, and, and again, going back to Columbia, because, you know, we're based in Columbia, we, mm-hmm. we did a story on abandoned buildings and how blight and how that was posing a safety hazard, quite frankly. And I got to say, to and, and this goes back to the power of sunlight, to the city of Columbia's credit, it is dedicating money to tear down buildings uh, that are just need they, – they need to go. Yeah. I mean, it's a safety hazard and it doesn't look good and the citizens are calling <laughs> for it. And You ever been to St. Louis? Uh, yes, man. I have talk about some abandoned buildings. Yes, I've been I've <laughs> been to the beautiful uh, gateway to the west. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, there's a, there's a million things I'd like to follow up on. Uh, it, it's just a matter of allocating time and resources and sure. the, the way that can help the community the most. And so with those stories, you know, kind of got to wait and see a little bit. If if it was Chris and money wasn't an object and I didn't have to stress about deadlines, yeah, yeah I'd go I'd go, go poke around, see what's what. But, you know, mm. that's that's not the world we live in. And like you said, with your spreadsheet of stories and tips, sure. it's probably like I need to focus on these because there's some important stories that need to get out there. Mm-hmm. You know, the other things would be more of a hobby for you personally, right? Well, yeah. Well, I, the way – sometimes the way I think about it is, you know – is if I didn't do anything about it, like if I let that go and just move on to the next story, like would it be handled? Would, you know, it come to a conclusion, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, with, with stories kind of like that, I mean, it's it's been brought to sunlight. You know, people know it. People are handling it. Like it, in many ways, I kind of view my job as how, where can I put the spotlight next where perhaps people aren't cognizant of it and and then i try that's what i try to do with my story pitches when i'm making those calls Mm -hmm. i try to think about okay yes we know this is a problem but what about this that folks maybe aren't cognizant of maybe they should be yeah okay and that 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 motivates me in in my my story research and there's a lot of big stories you know the santee cooper nuclear power plant Mm -hmm. deal Mm -hmm. um you know the murdoch case uh you know, you could always eat that low hanging fruit is Lindsey Graham. You could pick on him. Mm. Um, you know, and there's sports. This is a huge college sports yeah. town and there's yeah. a lot of stuff that could, goes on that's involved in that. So, you know, and you also probably have to take into account people's attention spans. Oh, of course. You know, because the news cycle changes so, so quickly, so rapidly. You guys mm-hmm. are working hard every day to, to keep up with that pace, people's attention span. You know, we found with our – we used to do four-hour podcasts. Hmm. And people would drop off at like an hour 45. Yeah, that's right. You know, and so we're like, okay, people are dropping us. So they probably stopped paying attention 15 to 20 minutes before that. Mm -hmm. So now we need to keep it hour and a half, hour 15, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's hard because sometimes there's a lot of information we want to put out and it's, okay, so what are we going to really focus on? And it's, it's difficult to, you know, some, we're recorded a lot of times on Friday nights. 
We're drinking some beers. Everybody's having a good time. My buddy Jeff's, you know, a wild man. And um, one story will lead to another story to lead. And the next thing you know, you're not talking about what you wanted to talk about at all. Right. Uh, sometimes that's great. Sometimes I have to like sit here and be the sober one in the room and be like, hey, guys, let's get back on track. And <laughs> Right. And that, that brings up an interesting point as we talk about process. If if you watch a television newscast, for example, mm-hmm. and to the best of my knowledge, you know you get about twenty three minutes of proverbial news stuff that we put together, yeah, and then the rest of it is ads. Um, in that timeline, the, the producers have to make conscious decisions again about what stories go where, and there's a lot of time budgeting. So. Oftentimes, you know, we have to hit like the major points and it's, that's something I have to sometimes explain to sources is like we just had a excellent 15 minute interview. I learned a lot mm-hmm. and, and you gave me a lot of important context. The, the cruel reality is that that 15 minute interview, you might only get a 15 second soundbite. Sure. Um, and a lot of that context, I personally have to condense into the biggest, you know, mm-hmm. the most concise possible way in, in, in four to five sentences. Um, and so, you know, we, we do our best to avoid missing, you know, crucial details, but that it's a balancing act. And we try to make up for that in the web story and spell out very clearly, like, this is what we talked about, but it, on, on TV. And, and that's one frustration I have with the medium sometimes. We don't mm-hmm. always get to lay out. Uh, I'm very grateful that at least in the investigative role I'm given, uh, in many ways I'm given a free leash on the length of those stories. So those those pieces, you know, from May with the the sheriff and Goldsmith and all that, those were six, seven, eight minute packages. Yeah. Your traditional news package on a day to day basis might be like a minute thirty, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, again, I, I'm very lucky in that they give me a little bit more leash. But that is the reality that a lot of the news reporters you watch on TV are facing. Yeah. So they don't. They don't mean to mm-hmm. squish things out. It's they are just kind of between a rock and a hard place. It's just the, by design of the medium, the way that it's yes, that's not, all it is. not ideal. We're like we in our podcast, we've spent hours upon hours upon hours talking about Lee Bone in the sheriff's office sure. and in different incidents mm-hmm. that you know, um, you know the Lori Jean Ellis incident. I don't know if you, you looked into that too much, mm-hmm. but um, you know. We could talk off air about it. Uh, sure. it, it. People didn't know this woman was killed by the police. Um, they didn't know the circumstances behind it. They didn't know any of the evidence, nothing. They didn't mm-hmm. know a $2 million settlement was paid out to her family. Um, they didn't know people who were involved because it was just kept so quiet. And it was just a poor old black lady who lives in Cassett and nobody cared. Mm. And so we talked, me and my partner here and, and my wife, and we're like, we owe it to this woman who was our neighbor to say something. And we spent, I spent so much time working on this all just in my downtime. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where we started talking about it. And it was like, we really just can't do this justice. Mm-hmm. We can't do it the right way. So mm-hmm. I don't know if we can do it at all. Um, well, yeah, that's, uh, that's a real consideration. Um, um, so you, you would do a story, you get your time on air mm-hmm. and then there's a more expanded story online. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys keep 
track of the clicks that you get oh, uh, yeah. based on a story? Do you see how many people follow up after your newscast onto those oh, the yeah. web stories? Oh, yeah. I, I'm not on our digital team, but we mm-hmm. definitely have that resource available. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in relation to the, the, the Sheriff Bone stories recently, um, those those did get a significant number of clicks, which, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's good to see that you know, folks are engaged, certainly, at yeah. least on my end. Um but yeah, absolutely. We that is a that is a metric we follow, and not you, you, you talk about entertainment on the on the national level. In our morning meetings, we do talk about okay, what is trending proverbially? What what has gotten the most clicks? Does that drive our coverage? Nine times out of ten, I'd say no. Really? Yeah, okay. no. Um, it's something we keep in the back of our pocket. Now, mm-hmm. if something like is in our backyard and has popped off on social media yeah. and we feel like we got to get, yeah, sure. Of okay. course it, it's, it's a factor. It's not the only factor. And I'd, I'd argue it's one of the, the, the smaller factors in our decision-making process. Mm-hmm. And so. plus you guys work regionally, right? You're kind of, oh, yeah. you can, are you, so you said like, um, Lexington County, Kershaw sure. County. Yes, it only the counties that touch Richland because largely. So, let's say the Murdoch case. Yeah, that's that's, that's a little out of our purview. We, You'd be stepping on somebody else's toes, right? <laughs> well, Which, you know, I, I, that, yes, that happens. Who cares? Um, our, well, yeah, on a certain level. Um, Adam Mincer, one of my former colleagues, he did a lot of work on that back in the day. That is outside of our immediate viewing area. WIS, mm-hmm. I believe, airs in forty out of the forty-six counties. Okay, mind you, there are. Um, different markets. So Charleston has a market, Myrtle Beach, us, and Greenville are the four big ones in South Carolina. So yes, largely it's the counties that border Richland. We also uh, get to Lee. Uh, I I keep tabs on – I try to keep tabs on what happens in Lee. And and Saluda County County is um, probably as far west as we go. Now, that being said, if something, you know – happens yes. in the state we we will go whether that isaias the hurricane or um there was the the shooting that involved the the doctor and the nfl former nfl player yeah, that was up very in new york county yes i i was up there that was that was quite something mm. um so we will we will go to the to the large stories in the state but our predominant responsibility is you know richland county and the counties which border it okay yeah all right. And um that's basically the news director and, and that room of people who would decide like, okay, this is big enough that we you need to go oh, yeah. down well, to yeah. Charleston the, County and cover the Yeah, he gets the final say. I mean he definitely mm-hmm. takes the considerations of myself and my colleagues and the producers into question, sure. but I mean um he he ultimately makes the call if he feels it's mm-hmm. important. Um, and as we're finishing up, uh, you know, I always want to ask on like, what are you working on next? What do you, what do you sure. got? But we're not going to talk about that too much, but, mm-hmm. um, I would imagine, uh, you're not done here. Well, you, look, um, there- you know, there's a lot of stories out there and I would like, we talk one story leads to the next usually. Of right? course. Yeah. And, and that happens all the time. Um, you know, uh, yes, I, I filed, um, some records requests um, in relation to what I've covered in the past and, and mm-hmm. stuff that I have not. Um, so, you know, again, I can't get too much into what exactly has – what exactly I'm waiting on records-wise. But right. um, what I, what basically you know, what, I, what I wanted to tell people is like, you know, a story was done about the sheriff of, of Kershaw County. Mm. And that's a big story, especially here in Kershaw County, you mm-hmm. know, because he's elected official. Um, it wasn't done – 
and not for my, from not for me either. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just done for clicks and to sell ads and it was done to, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but to sh- shed light on a situation that affected a lot of people. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, especially with elected leaders, I mean, um, with, with sheriff departments, taxpayer funded, mm-hmm. interact with taxpayers. Uh, they have an arsenal of, of weapons and tools and training yeah. funded by taxpayers. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, like I touched on, it, it was an important story. I'm glad we did it the way we did it. And, mm. um, you know, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll see where it leads and we'll, we'll keep following the facts where they go. So. Yeah. It's, it's disappointing to me as a, a um, citizen of this county that we didn't have a viable candidate step up to run against the man. Um, and we'll see, maybe somebody will do a writing campaign. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe next time, um, the next election mm-hmm. we'll see. Maybe, maybe Lee Bone will change it, you know, his it com- completely change his leadership style and actually, you know, make good positive changes within the sheriff's office. That would be great too. And mm-hmm. we talked about that on the podcast. Like, you know, I don't think Goldsmith was necessarily a really a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I think that he was just a troubled person from his military service. And this is me talking as a veteran. Um, But I also think he was trained in a way where he felt he was doing the right thing. Hmm. Um, And that's, that's again, the editorializing that I I can do, but you can't. Yeah. Right. You would have to have a stack of paperwork to back up those few sentences. I'll I'll defer to the documents that I've reported on, on that front and and let folks interpret that Uh for themselves. And it's, I'm glad you came to talk about the process of your journalism and, and the way local news media works Mm. because, um, you know, when I share your story on Facebook, say, and be like, Hey, this guy just did a story about something that we've been talking about for years. And thankfully, finally, so it's getting some recognition and, uh, people are like, Oh, that's the most liberal fake news that, you know, out there. And why would anybody believe WIS? And my question is what has happened for you to say that WIS is just fake news? Like, Like, it's not that easy to, to fake news on a local level like this. It, that's not how it works. If they were faking in the news and they got caught, nobody would want to advertise with them and they would lose revenue. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. They, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, unfortunately the, the nationalization of our, of our politics, I think plays a role in that. And, you know, all we can do is, is, is keep reporting the truth with the facts and documents and videos. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'll let, I'll let folks, you know, like I said, come to their own conclusions and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully it'll, uh, it'll, I don't know, touch base with folks and yeah. they'll interpret it, they'll interpret it there. Yeah. Um, I think you've made an impact in Kershaw County. You've, you've opened a lot of people's eyes who wouldn't listen to me because mm-hmm. I use dirty words sometimes. Right. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and they would discredit me right off the bat. I'm like, I'm not going to listen to you. I heard you say the F word, so I'm not going to listen anymore. I'm like, well, you need to grow up first of all. <laughs> but, sure. um, that's where I feel like we work in tandem. Uh, with traditional media and the new independent media people. Uh, I, I use that term very loosely for myself, independent journalist, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's personal for me. Of course. Uh, and we can pick up where the holes where you guys can't say so-and-so is this way. I saw mm-hmm. it with my own eyes and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of people since your stories came out who, have started to question their own personal beliefs about the sheriff and starting mm. to look at the facts that mm. you presented 
right? And that's great. And that's, um, so I'm glad that you did that. I'm glad you've, you know, took an interest in Kershaw County. Like I said, we're trying to make Kershaw County the freest county in South Carolina. Great. And that's a massive undertaking here. Um, but we've made some headway. Sure. And with people like you didn't even know you were helping us. You're just putting news out there, doing the news story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I read in your bio that your goal is to give voice to people who aren't heard. Yeah, right? absolutely. That's, that's yeah. one of your goals with your journalism. Well, yeah, the, 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 you know, shameless plug, chris.joseph at wistv.com. There you uh, go. If you've got thoughts, email email me. You what know, about got stories. Uh, Twitter and Facebook? Yeah, okay. at chris underscore d underscore joseph is my twitter and then on facebook uh should be just chris joseph wis or something yeah, yeah i think that's right and we'll um, try to put some links up in our show notes great. um and i want to thank your bosses for you huh. know letting you come out here and do this and yes. talk um you know you probably could have done it anybody you know professional courtesies and all that sort of stuff get it yeah. cleared through them you don't yeah, i can tell that you're very careful about your journalistic integrity um, and that's good. That's, that's a very good thing. And uh, so thank you, WIS, for letting Chris come out here. Um, again, if anybody else has any stories for me, anybody want to come on, um, Chris, this is for you too. If you have any yeah. colleagues want to come out and talk and talk shop and whatever, they're more than welcome if they can make the drive out. Yeah, very good. <laughs> um, uh, if they can stand the heat in the, in the studio here, uh, literal heat, uh, vote Matt podcast at gmail.com. I mean, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Um, again, thank you to all our sponsors. Go to Cassett's Country Store, get you a pizza. Have you had the pizza out there in the corner yet? Can't say that I have. No, I might. You mm-hmm. know what? It's about the lunch hour. I yeah. might need to might Go out there and get you a couple slices of pizza. Yeah. Tell tell the, the young lady at the counter that you just did the show. She's not <laughs> okay. going to give you a discount or anything. Just uh, tell her. You know, okay, understood. But she'll know what you're talking about. Sure, sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, folks. Um, Chris, you know Jeffrey Epstein's story, right? I'm only vaguely. What? All right. Uh, <laughs> but you saw I, I've wall. seen the headlines. What I always say at the end of every show, and I think I missed it the last couple of times, open your minds. Don't trust the government. Don't forget that Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Thank you so much for listening, folks. Uh, look at us on Facebook. Stay tuned. Like, share, subscribe, and all that. We love you. Bye.
Thank you.